you are now entering the Podglomerate. Hello and welcome to Plus 7 Intelligence, the show about how games impact people. My name is Chess. Today I have the story of a guy named Tony. He had a dream of becoming a game developer and he put his mind to it and had some setbacks and he came up with a creative way to get some insider information about the video game industry by starting his own podcast to talk to industry veterans. So today on the show, we're going to talk about his journey, making that happen and releasing his first game. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind everyone to check out the loot page on plus7intelligence.com. That's plus7intelligence.com slash L-O-O-T, because there is where you can enter the monthly giveaway sweepstakes. And this month, I am giving away Luna's Wandering Stars, which is one of the games made by Episode 5's guest, Z Yang. It's a puzzle game based on real planetary physics. And I really encourage you guys to enter. There was one person last month who took advantage of the loot page by leaving a review. And it was that one person that won the sweepstakes for that month. Because the Sweepstakes is set up in such a way that different actions give you more virtual raffle tickets towards winning the sweepstakes. And and leaving a review is one of those high-value items, something that's really valuable for me, and therefore it gives you a lot of benefit. And as a reminder, there's lots of different ways to get those virtual raffle tickets. Following on social media, leaving a review, things that are pretty easy, and all those things stack up to increase your chances of winning. So I encourage you right now, if you're at a computer, go ahead and do it while you're listening to this episode or whenever you stop and get out of your car, go ahead and go to plusofintelligence.com loot if Luna's Wandering Stars is a game you are interested in. All right, without out of the way, let's get into the interview with Tony Chan. All right, I'm here with Tony Chan. He is the man behind the game dev Loadout Podcast, which is a video game industry podcast where he interviews veterans of the video game industry from all different types of careers within the gaming industry to learn the lessons that, they, that they've learned along the way with making great games. And I'm very grateful to Tony for coming because this is actually the second time we've recorded this. And I've had lots of technical difficulties that he has been very gracious to help me out with. He also interviewed me on his show. So this is kind of the second half of a show crossover. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Tony, and, and being such a big help for me. Yeah, no problem. I mean, uh, thank you again for having me on the show twice. <laughs> uh, but it's no problem. Yeah, so hi, everyone. My, na- my name is Tony. And it, yeah, thanks, Chess, for having me on the show. So yeah, yeah, like you said, I do my own podcast called A Game Dev Loadout. 
And basically, I interview uh, game industry professionals in order to give my listeners like valuable insights on what it takes to be in the video game industry. So like e- each episode b- uh, details the journey of like their worst moments, lesson learns, their best investments, personal values, and, and the resources they use to reach success. And it's for the show is for people that are new or that's changing careers or that's just trying to figure out a way to get started. So so my show is to help people model after the best, basically. And I, I really appreciate Chess for uh, letting me be on the show so I could talk about more about why I started the podcast and um, and what, what it's meant for. All right. So, yeah, let's start there. What what led you to start the Game Dev Loadout podcast in the first place? So I'm a new game developer myself, and I always wanted to be a game developer. I always wanted to create games since I was a kid. And the, the huge problem that I ran into when I was in college is that I absolutely sucked at programming and drawing. And so that made me change my career to like a, a market researcher. So now I'm working as a market researcher. But then I read a book called The uh, Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, which basically kind of changed my life. And it taught me about outsourcing, which I never even thought of before. So right when I learned about outsourcing, I immediately uh, went outline and uh, hired a programmer and artist in the Middle East to help me make my mobile game called Finding Leo. And what's cool is I actually released Finding Leo this past uh, October on uh, on Android and it's coming soon on iOS. And the thing is, like, I made so many mistakes making this game. Like, I didn't have no scope. I didn't have no plan. Uh, I didn't budget right. I didn't know how, didn't know how to communicate well, especially if you're uh, working with the team overseas. It was so hard to uh, stay in communication because of time zone difference and everything. So basically, I made so, so many mistakes. And then I started to think of... Um, a podcast like I listen to a lot of business podcasts and entrepreneur podcasts and one podcast in particular EO Fire by uh, John Lee Dumas he motivated me to create a podcast to, in order to help other people and I always like get like giving back to the community because I, I used to like volunteer at a dog shelter to help uh, take care of the dogs or I used to feed the feed people at the homeless shelter and now i want to do something where i could give back to my community that i'm really passionate about which is video games and so i thought of the uh, game dove loadout podcast where i can interview professionals in order to help people like me people that's new that's trying to figure out how to get started so that we could uh basically avoid all the mistakes that they made so that uh we could start off on the right track and so I'm really passionate about this podcast. And I, I, so far, like people have been sending me thank you messages. And it, it feels really, really good when you give back to the community. So I'm so happy that I'm uh, able to do this. And I also get to network with a lot of great people. Like I've been talking with professionals. And recently I went to the Austin Game Conference. And Austin, it, it just it felt like home because because uh Everybody there is just excited to talk about their games and their journey. And I live in Houston, and Houston's not big on video games at all. Like, there's only one big, big video game company here, but that's about it. So when I went to Austin, it, it just felt amazing. So if you want to get into the video game industry, you, you definitely got to go and network with people. You listen to podcasts like Chess or, or like Minds to get motivated to learn more about the industry. And most importantly, my podcast, uh, I have a model where I say knowledge is only potential power. Execution is the game. So it's good that we're learning all this, but we have to take action in order to see the benefits. And so one thing I always want people to take away 
from my shows is that once they listen to a show and they uh, learn something from it, put it into action, put it into good use. So, yeah, that, that's that's how I start my podcast. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, you and like you said, you you have executed. You've really gone all out on the podcast because putting together a daily podcast is is a huge feat. It's uh, you know we were talking before the show that I was switching to doing biweekly simply because putting together a good episode is a lot of work. So what inspired you to do a daily podcast and go all out like that? I know that EO, EO Fire is a daily podcast. Was that your model for the Game Dev Loadout podcast? Yeah, that, that's the thing. I actually switched to weekly, <laughs> weekly uh, on the after the second month because uh, daily, yeah, like you said, it's doing daily is definitely tough um especially because you know you have to go out and find a lot of guests which is already hard enough uh to you know to get people on the show and then you have to edit every single video and so it was a lot it was definitely a lot of time it was really tough so i decided to switch to a weekly after the second month to in order to breathe and focus better and also i have like a newborn baby too so a lot of stuff was just on my mind, taking up all my time. And so, yeah, I did originally do daily. And, yeah, it was because, yeah, I, I just I wanted to give people, like, new stories every single day. And what I noticed is that people were telling me that the podcast episode kind of felt rushed at times. And I didn't want to feel rushed. I wanted to let the guests explain as much information as possible. And so doing it weekly also allowed me to extend the episodes even longer to get more out of the guests. So yeah, it, originally I was daily. Now I'm doing weekly, and so far doing weekly has been amazing. It, it allows me to focus better. Allows me to do other things. So yeah, weekly is definitely something. And my audience they love it more now because I, I just uh, go in more depth with the guests. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure you probably found the same thing that I did when I started talking to people. I had planned this show to be like 20 minute interviews, but when you talk to, to people that are just so brilliant and they are doing such amazing things, like you can't stop talking after 20 minutes. It, you just can't be done. You can't cut it down. It's so much better to dive a, a little bit deeper and kind of get some context for things, get a fuller picture. I think that's great that you've found something that's interesting to you, interesting to other people, that, that you found something worth diving into deeper worth taking some more time going into yeah because you know you're talking with people with years or decades of experience and it feels like we're not doing them justice by you know just giving them 20 minutes and so giving them like an, at least an hour or something uh, to get all that out all that information it, it's definitely worth it so you created this game and you released it on mobile and you know, you said that you you weren't a programmer, you weren't an artist. So, how did you pull pull the game together uh, with the different kind of skill sets? You said you hired programmers and an artist. What roles did you fill in the team, and and did you bring on anybody else as part of your team? Yeah, you know what? It, it was just three people. Uh, that's it. Oh no, it's actually four because my programmer uh, got his friend to help a bit. So yeah, me basically, I was just the the director, the game designer, and I, I produced the music as well. 
and the programmer yeah they made the gameplay and, and the artist uh just made the art so what i did to begin with the game is i i i thought of a small like i i want to start small of course like i did not want to start big I, I started small i thought of a game that i absolutely love and just like a small mini game that i could recreate and it was a game on I believe Mario 64 on a, a DS, they, they had this mini game where it's like a picture on top and whatever face is on the, the wanted poster on top, you have to find it below. And I want to recreate that game and add like my own kind of twist to it. So my mobile game is it's called Finding Leo. It's basically based, it's based on my dog and it's, the story is that he's missing. He's missing in the wild of these other animals. And so you have to find him and you have to find his picture. And he's sometimes like hiding behind other faces on the bottom screen or he's like moving in, in at a fast pace and you have to tap and, and find him before time runs out. And so this was complicated because um, communicating overseas with the time zone different, like I had to stay up until 11 p.m. or 12 p.m. just to to talk with them. And of course, I got next, I got work the next morning, so that they made things really difficult. And my wife was like, "Oh, screw me! You need to go to sleep, Tony. You need to go to sleep." So, <laughs> um, so so the time zone different was really hard. And then you have to like, I'm not a programmer or or so I didn't under, completely understand like how uh, this asset going here or this program going here or like the in-app purchases and, and how to get just everything, how to get everything working. So I have to constantly communicate with my programmer. And luckily, like I, I, I hired a really nice programmer that was like really patient with me. And in terms of the art, I took influence from other mobile games that I thought would just or or eye-opening or, or just really pretty in, in general. And I, I just told my artist, hey, I want my animal faces to look like similar to this art. And that's what she did. She just drew art similar to the other art styles. And so, and so yeah, I, I, constant communication. You know, we use Skype to constantly talk with each other. Uh, we use uh, it's something called Sync, which is kind of like Dropbox where we can share files. And so we're constantly sharing files with each other. And so, and not keep in mind, like this was like a side project, so it was not like I was going into this a hundred percent. So, so it took like almost a year to complete this game, and. Um, I paid, I believe, like three thousand dollars total to make the game happen, and so I, I feel I'm happy with it. Like the game to me, it turned out really well. You know, it's, it still might be buggy because we're it's new and it just released, but I'm really proud of my team for making the game. Like it plays really well, and uh, I let my community, like I went to local communities to get constant feedback for the game, and they were telling me what to fix and what not to, uh, what to keep and stuff like that, and. Um, yeah, now the game is finally out, and I produced the music too. And I'm really big fan of orchestra music in Super Mario Galaxy or in Zelda, and so I try, I try to mimic the orchestra music and put it in the game as well. So I don't know if, if people like that because they people on mobile they usually play with the sound off, so I don't even know if they even know what the music sounds like. But yeah, finally, Levo, my first game, I, I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot, like. I, I didn't have a scope. That's the thing. The first thing that people should do when they, uh, before they start making the game is have a scope, like have a realistic scope and choose a small project. Cause I sometimes hear people that want to start the first game off with a multiplayer game or something just like a big idea. 
no, just start with a small little mechanic, uh, test it out with your peers. And if something sticks, that's where you uh, start developing for. And then you want to create that scope, create those milestones. So you know what you're uh, trying to accomplish uh, in, the, in the long road. Yeah, I, I actually just, as you were talking, I downloaded your game and, and played a couple rounds of it. But you know that you had some trouble along the way, you know, you've you felt like you didn't have the skills that you needed, but it's really cool that you overcame that. You found ways around it and you pushed through and you made it happen. And that's really cool because there's so many people that want to be a game designer and they will go, you know, years or decades without doing it, without even really trying. It was really cool that you were able to to make that happen. Yeah, starting starting small is is definitely the the main thing that I hear from anyone talking about getting into making games. It doesn't matter if what you make is small, just the fact that you've made something that you've gone through the process, you know, that shows your commitment. It allows you to learn a huge amount of stuff and that can be that can be like the linchpin for making your next idea possible. It can be the linchpin for your career. You know, now you can put on a resume. Hey, I made this mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it's it's really key. It's it's much better to do something small, accomplish it, than to keep thinking about this gigantic idea and never act on it uh, because it's 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 not possible. And yeah, well, my guests they always say that. Oh, some of my guests, they mentioned that your first few games is always going to be bad, always. And so, you know, as long as you make the game and finish it, that's another part thing. You have to finish the game so that you can show, like you say, you show proof that to, uh, you know, if you're trying to get a job somewhere that you actually went through and complete a game and got it published, that that's looks really good on a resume and not many people could say like they completed their own game so if you if you complete the game and you you show that you put effort into it that's going to look good on a resume and it's your first game so don't try to like perfect it or anything or try to and another thing is do not put a lot of features in it if you keep trying to add features to it you're just gonna uh extend your scope or make the game even harder. So the more features you try to add to the game, the longer the, the game is going to take to create and the harder it would be to create as well. So just stick you know, with one simple idea, go 100% on it and make sure you finish it. Just You got to finish it and publish it and get that experience. There's there's a lot to it, like a lot, lot to uh, making a game. It's really difficult. That's for sure. It's really, really difficult. And so... Once you con- learn the process of it and constantly keep doing it, you, you get it down. And so, and that looks really good on our resume. So, and, and the community, like the video game community, uh, my guests, they always say that the video game community, they're so open to helping other game developers out. Like we're really open about everything we do. It's not like uh, the movie industry where they keep everything closed lip. Like in the, in the video game industry, like GDC or or like the Austin Game Conference, they people are willing to help you and give you advice and give you ideas and the tools. And so it's so good that as a game developer, I could just go up to or just message somebody and ask them for help. And so, and that's the thing you, you got to ask you, if you need some help, got a question, you know, go, go on online forums or hit someone on LinkedIn and, and DM them or, or direct message them and stuff, or, you know, hit up me and chess. Like th- this is the, this is the reason why we're doing the podcast is to give back to the community and help, uh, and help 
uh, people that want to be in the game industry. And so, yeah, just don't be afraid. Hit us up and ask us a question. So, and ask, like I say, just DM people on LinkedIn if you if you want. And just there's always someone that's willing to help. A lot of those things are also true of pretty much any creative thing that you want to do. You know, starting a podcast, a website, blog, YouTube channel. A lot of these principles are all the same about you know starting small, reaching out to the community, all that stuff. It's all. It it sounds really simple and trite, but it really is how you get out there and you start making something. You know, all the great things that you see out there that are made, all the great games, they all started because somebody tried something and probably made a terrible prototype, but that's what allowed them to learn and get better. So this is also something I think is really cool about your podcast is you don't just talk about tips and tricks a lot of what you talk about is also like motivation, you know, how to harness your passion and, you know, turn it into something productive. So that's something that's that's really interesting to me because I see that a lot in the video game industry because the industry itself is huge and makes tons of money and there's lots of careers there. But there's still a lot of uncertainty on the individual career level with how the industry is set up or how the image of the industry is. So what has been your kind of experience there with the interviews you've done? What are some maybe pitfalls that people are, people going into the game dev industry? What what kind of pitfalls are they falling into? Yeah, so yeah, the first thing we mentioned is they think too big. So some people, they just think too big. And then they when they uh, go for a big idea and then they notice that they can't uh, accomplish it, they just quit. They just quit. And then that's like the end of their career right there or something. So... Def, okay, so you got to start small. You got to find the right team uh, members. And this takes time. Like finding the right team members take time. Find someone that you can work with. Find someone that has the same vision as you. And if you if that person or your partner uh, aren't like on the same path as you, you got to let that person go. You're like it, it's going to be a waste of time. If you keep trying to st- stick with that person. You just got to let them go. And then network. That's You have to go network. You know, I, I I don't know if a lot of uh, people that want to join game industries are introvert, but I'm a huge introvert myself and I make the effort to go out there and network with people. And networking is like the best way just to learn about the game industry and to meet the right people. And you have to build up meaningful relationship and get mentors, you know, get mentors that could teach you. If you want to be a programmer, find like a programmer you look up to and just ask them uh, if, you know, you could mentor them somehow or work for them for free or something like that to to get that mentorship. The scope is another big thing that you have to practice. Use like use a game design document, a GDD is what people call it, and that's basically your scope right there of everything you want to put in the game, how long you want it to, uh, how long you want to take to make the game, uh, all the features you want to include in the game, the characters, the assets. So making it a game design document is definitely helpful and it keep you on track of what you're trying to accomplish. You got you to get the right scope, got to get the right team. And if that team member is not good, you got to let that team member go. Um, be realistic. Uh, you know, sometimes we, some companies have like big, big goals. But when you're, to me, when you're like an indie or starting or just starting off, it's better to start with a, a realistic goal first to, to get a taste of the game industry. And then once you get that taste, then you can start thinking of like bigger, much bigger goals. 
Is there anything you learned from an interview with one of those industry veterans that you turned around and applied to launching your first game? The thing, okay, so I think the main one was feature keep. I keep trying to add all these new features on my video game. And I believe it was, oh man, I've done so many interviews. I, I kind of forgot which one. I, I believe it was Dave uh, Rowe were or no it was probably richard ross i, I forgot who but <laughs> um they told me like do not let future creep happen and that happened to me plenty of times on my first video game i kept trying to add all these new uh things to it and uh, after that interview i just i was like, all right we're gonna just use this this and that and, and we're just gonna stick with these these features and that's it and that's how i was able to release my, my game faster now because i just stick with the the main features that i want to keep in the game and just stuck with that i didn't try to add any more i want to add more but i didn't um and then of course i wanted to change a lot of other stuff too you know it's budget wise so i didn't i didn't want to spend any more money on my first game it's my first game so i didn't want to spend like 5k or 10k on it so i i released it and if it gets a lot of attention, I want to, you know, I'm going to spend more money, money on it. But right now it's still, it's still new. So I'm still, uh, see what the public thinks about it. And I will, yeah, I will implement more changes based on what I learned from the guests. And, and another thing is like my guests, they do not like in-app purchases. And so that's really interesting. And I, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of people don't like it either. And I guess it depends on the way you use in-app purchases. So that's another thing I have to learn uh, how to uh, do for mobile. And mobile, it is definitely discoverability. Like from what everybody's telling me, it's hard to get discovered on the phones, the, the mobile world or yeah, the mobile. So you, you want to build that community like a fan base early on your game making like share a screenshot with your audience or something or uh, yeah, share it on Reddit. Reddit is a good place to show your game. And you, yeah, you just want to build up your feedback. You, you want to market your game early. Um, not, don't overdo it with like images every single day. Like show one image one day, then six months later, if you're going to show another image, make sure it looks much better than, than the first one. Um, so yeah, it, definitely marketing is like half the the battle when you're trying to release a game you have to get people's attention to it and so finding either you know market yourself or hire a marketer or a publisher to market your game because remember like if there's no attention on it no matter how good your game is it's not gonna uh, make any money if there's no one looking at it so marketing is definitely something that you have to think about early on uh, really really early on use social media facebook twitter uh, instagram uh, yeah, Reddit. So just use all that social media, market your game early, get people's attention and build up that fan base. You can do like an email list or something like that. Um, and yeah, just get, get that people attention. You need people's attention. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's so true for anything that you want to do on the internet or really any scale that you want people's attention that you have to have a solid plan to actually make that happen. I know I read this article recently that game designers now, many of them, they design the game to be marketed. Like they actually design the game, the visuals, the mechanics. They start from the very beginning of how are we going to market this game? Because we're not going to make a game unless people are going to buy it. So let's design it in such a way that we know who's going to buy it ahead of time. 
<laughs> in a way. It's so huge. It's um, it's huge for podcasts too. Getting the word out is so difficult, and you know it's all about how can you create something that people they they see that is valuable and they will then want to share that as something valuable with people and treat it as valuable. Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, well, we could talk about marketing all day, but I don't want to do that. So there's one thing that I did want to talk to you about. You had a story where Final Fantasy VII played a big role in in your life. Can you talk about that story? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So... Well, yeah, I wasn't the brightest kid when I was young. Like in second grade, I can't even read. It, it was really difficult for me to read. I, I don't know what happened when I was a kid, but I just can't read in second grade. And also like that was during a time where uh, teachers would paddle you or, or spank you. So like I, I remember getting hit in my hand with a ruler. And one time my teacher, <laughs> she tried to scare me into reading by pretending she was going to paddle me on my butt with a big, really big paddle. <laughs> so she tried to scare me into learning how to read, which which honestly didn't work at all. And she just made me cry. I still remember it. And <laughs> it was worse. It's like, like I didn't know how to read so badly because uh, another thing, it was so bad. Like they had to bring my my older sister downstairs to to explain to them why I, I didn't know how to read. And my sister's just like, I don't know. I don't know why he can't read. And so like, they, they really tried to get me to read. Yeah. Second grade, like it, it, it I don't, maybe the class was just in, wasn't good or something, but I, I didn't know how to read. And then I played, I was always a big gamer, but final fantasy is the one where it got me to start doing a lot of reading. And as you know, Final Fantasy VII, it has a ton of dialogue in it. And I remember just reading every single word one by one. And it took me forever to beat that game, but actually, I eventually did. That's why that game is always going to have a place in my heart because it, it taught me how to read. Like, it taught me how to... And then, uh, not, it had, like, great gameplay as well, but, like, the reading part, I, I just read every single word by word. And after that game, I went back and played other games that had like a lot of dialogue, like Legend of Zelda. I remember going back to that game and just started reading everything that the game was saying. And originally, when I played Legend of Zelda, I just beat it because I saw my brother and copied everything they did when they played the game. But now I was able to go back in Zelda and read everything and beat it myself. And when I got to third grade, like everybody was so surprised at how well I was reading there. Like they thought I was like a different kid or something. So Final Fantasy VII, it it's such a, a, a hold a great place in my heart. Like I just, I, I beat that game like five times now or something because <laughs> I enjoyed it so much. But yeah, it, it taught me how to read. It, it made me go back to other games and make me read like just, it, it made read enjoyable. And so, yeah, yeah, that's Final Fantasy VII. It's it's an amazing game. And I'm so happy that they're remaking the game. And I, I hope that they do a good job of it because that game is just, it's so precious to me. So I hope they don't mess it up or anything like that. So come on, come on, Square Enix. Don't know we mess it up. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. It's um, and that's a common theme of my show is how games kind of had this mysterious power to get people to do things, to achieve things that they might not be able to do otherwise, <laughs> you know, cause that game motivated you to learn to read, to put in the time and to practice reading when, you know, basically a, a, a subtle threat from your teacher <laughs> couldn't motivate you, but the game did. I just think that's, that's such an amazing part of games that I feel like doesn't get 
there is a lot more movement in the educational game space now, but I think overall it's a it's a really amazing part of games that doesn't get uh, as much attention as as it could. Yeah, it's because it's, to me school is just it, it may, to me I think the reason is because all they did to make you learn how to read is just give you like a booklet or something like a really boring looking book a booklet to read, and I, I didn't I just don't think that motivated me and having games in school where people or kids could learn by playing games how how cool is that to me i think kids just have a lucky if schools implement it and i think i believe some schools do implement stuff like that where you could play games to learn uh you know there's math games on the mobile now or you could there's like twine where you can make a, a text game or something there's keyboard games where you type in a word and and you kill zombies. And so there's like so many cool ways to learn uh, just by gaming now. And I just think it's amazing. And, and, I, um, and I'm pretty sure like my daughter, she's newborn, but I'm pretty sure she's going to be, be a big nerd like me and play a lot of games. And I have a feeling like she's, she's, I'm going to make her play like math games and reading games and history games and stuff. So that's the, <laughs> that's, that's how I'm going to teach my kid <laughs> is to make her play a game and learn, learn that way. <laughs> Yeah, kids coming up now, uh, they they have it good that they have much better educational games than uh, than we did. Maybe with some exceptions, I haven't seen anything as good as Carmen San Diego for for at least how fun it is. I don't know how truly effective it was at teaching, but it was definitely a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we it's just so much fun playing games. And, and you know we're kids too, so we we just want to have fun. You know, we didn't, I don't think people want just want to sit down on the desk all day and just uh, read or look at the chalkboard or something. We want we need you know that's why we have recess to go out and have fun. So if they could put that in a class and, and teach kids that way, that that I think that would be a success. All right, well, thank you so much for telling us about your podcast and your journey for making a game and telling us a little bit about your life story where can people find out more about about you about uh, the game dev loadout podcast and your game uh in in the game that you made and any games in the future that you might make yeah so yeah thanks again chess for having me on the show um yeah you could check me out at gameduffloadout.com you know my podcast is targeted for people that just they want to get started in the game industry, and I'm hoping my guests could give you the tools and resources to help you get started, to motivate you to get started. Um, yeah, you could email me at tony at gamedelfloadout.com if you want to hit me up. And I encourage you to hit me up because you know, you have to ask questions if you want to uh, figure out what, what to do. On social media, yeah, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, at gamedelfloadout. So you can check that out. And Finding Leo is on Android right now. Just Finding Leo, like Finding Nemo. So just think about Finding Leo with L-E-O. You can see it on Android. And it's going to be on iOS soon. So I'm, I'm still trying to put that out there. And yeah, just hit me up. Feel free to hit me up. You know, we, we're here to, to encourage you to uh, make the community better. Well, thanks again for coming on the show uh, for the second time and being really helping me to put this episode together. It was not as easy as it should have been. <laughs> no problem, problem. Thanks. And thanks uh, everyone for listening. 
There's your intelligence boost for the week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a little bit trickier than normal to get done, but it got done. I want to remind you of two things. First, go to plus7intelligence.com slash loot. That is where you can enter the monthly sweepstakes. This page is a great tool for listeners to get engaged. This is an easy way. If you like the show and you like the interviews I do, the guests that I bring on, this is a great way for you to support the show. And it gives you virtual raffle tickets towards the monthly giveaway, which as a reminder, the next drawing is November 7th. So the earlier you enter, the more chances you have of winning. So I really strongly encourage it. Second, I also want to talk a little bit about my podcast network called The Podglomerate. And it's a collection of shows across kind of the spectrum of different topics. We have several shows that have hit Apple Podcasts, New and Noteworthy. We recently added two new shows under the umbrella that expand the topics of the network even further. We have Remade, which is a post-apocalyptic fiction story, which I often get into, so I'm really excited about that. And there's also Two Girls, One Podcast, which is a hilarious show that explores kind of the weird parts of the internet. It's a lot of fun and very surprising, so I really recommend it. And finally, I'd like to read a review that the show got on Apple Podcasts. This is from Dogtown Warrior, and it reads, Video games are an art form on par with any movie, television show, or book around. There have been several studies into how those forms of media impact people, so it's about time that there is a show that does the same for video games. Chess has done an awesome lineup of guests, and I can't wait for more episodes. Thank you very much for that review. I totally agree that video games have not gotten their fair shake compared to other media, but I think that things are going to change before too long. And that's all I have this week. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.